How does one live as a humanist? What are our values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, we talk to secular activist Monette Richards. She is vice president of Secular Woman and former president of CFI Northeast Ohio. We talk about her journey to becoming an activist, the real scourge of leadership burnout, and if there is any hope for organized secular groups to affect real change, as it seems our world is burning down around us. Our talk was a good time, really. How did you get involved in being a secular activist? Uh, what, what, what's your or, origin story? Okay, so I got pretty much involved through the internet because, you know, my husband and I are geeks. It's what we do. It's where we live. And um, this was around the time that, you know, I watched Elevator Gate unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the big argument in the organizations about um, whether they should have harassment, can't, you know, um, sorry, um, codes of conduct um, and all of the horror from that. Mostly, you know, just I caught some blogs and I started reading them and, you know, next thing you know, you're involved in the community. So that's pretty much how I started. And then I noticed that I I found um, secular or women in secularism which was a conference that was all women in this time where everyone's trying to, you know, just get women on the stage. And um, I saw that that was being put on by Center for Inquiry DC and noticed there was a chapter that met a block and a half of my house. So I said, well, I have to take that over. (laughs) And six months later, I was president Um, or not six months. It was a little longer than that, but yeah, it was like a year and a half. But anyway, uh, we, we joke about that. It was a bloodless coup. Um, but yeah, so kind of that's how <laughs> now, <laughs> sort of fell into it. I don't know. <laughs> now you said that uh, you know we're talking about CFI Northeast Ohio, and just recently it closed down. Um, did yes. you want to kind of discuss why that is, or can you discuss why that decide, oh, decided? Oh yeah, to totally. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> So we had our last official event at the beginning of January, right? You know, at the beginning of the new year, Um, we were a, a, an organization for 25 years. It was our 25th anniversary Um, started by Brent Bowen. Um, They called themselves, um, what was it? Uh, Fino. Oh yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Northeast Ohio. I remember. Yeah. Right. And then in 2009, CFI was having DJ Grothy go around and, you know, get chapters to join um, and promising, you know, a lot of stuff. And then as soon as they join, the economy fell out, other things happened, uh, donors left. So we were a chapter, but we were a volunteer chapter, not like the others. So um, yeah, like I said, that was in 2009. So that that was kind of a, a rocky start really um, because of a lot of the things that were in the proposal um, of what the chapter would get when joining CFI um, fell through for various reasons. So, um, but, you know, we chugged along. Um, we had members come and go. And then um, I think what some of the things that made it really difficult is I think a lot of local chapters are having issues right now um, in general. Um, and 
I know I pissed off a lot of people who were coming because I wasn't going to allow, you know, certain things to happen at the meetings. I controlled conversations or discussions. I made people not interrupt other people, you know, um, things like that. But I also think that when CFI merged with uh, Richard, Dawkins Found- Richard Dawkins Foundation in, was that 2016? Yeah, I think it was. I think, it was yeah, announced. Something like that. Yeah, we actually lost some members over that. Um, I mean, people told me I cannot be a member of CFI anymore because I cannot support Dawkins. Um, you know, between Dear Muslima and a lot of his Twitter accounts and things like that, um, they just they couldn't do it. And then when you have new leadership, a lot of things changed, and we couldn't we didn't feel comfortable telling our members to send membership dues to headquarters until they figured out how that was going to affect us. By the time headquarters figured out how that was going to affect us, I think a lot of our members just didn't feel like joining, you know, and sending money was the thing they wanted to do. Um, So that's part of it. Another part is that I technically quit in um, December of 2018, but we could not find anyone to take over. We had lost board members over time and we could not fill the positions. And you know, you would think that if people were really unhappy with the way I was running the chapter, they would jump at the chance of, you know, pushing me out and taking over and doing it their way. Um, But no, I mean, and, and so I had a conversation with Brent and he, felt that he would rather see it be closed down, you know, come to an end. We celebrate that ending. We celebrate the life of the chapter rather than just see it peter out. So we put out the call. We gave people lots more chances and nobody stepped up to take over. So we shut it down. And uh, do you have any ideas why nobody stepped forward? Uh, Do you have any any clues? I have lots of theories, a lot of which I'm not going to go over, but um, some of the things I think um, is right now, I think a lot of people feel like the entire world is on fire. So how do you pick which fire you start putting out um, when the entire world's on fire? I know we lost a lot of my friends um, to other organizations that already had structures in play that were already doing the work. Um, like. Um, UU churches who were already doing anti-racism work and already working with trying to do immigration reform. Um, They had the structure, they were doing it and they wanted to be effective. So they went to, instead of doing events with us that were help other orgs, they went straight to those orgs, Um, which is, you know, I I love that they're doing the work. That's the biggest thing uh, more than anything, but not having, you know, that networking, everything in place to be able to do that was uh, a big problem. And I think burnout is another thing. Um, Like I said, when the whole world's on fire and you are constantly just, you know, addressing every point that comes, you, you just don't have the energy. And that's why I needed to step back. I was not being an effective leader because I just didn't have the energy to do what needed to be done by that point. You know, it was six years. I don't know how Brent did it for 11. He did, you know, that. Whew. Yeah, I, no, 13, I 13. He was president for 13 years. Yeah, I, no, I get what you're saying. Um, I, you know, I'm 
leader of my own group. And it gets that way sometimes. I, I sit there and I go, why aren't people showing up to things? Right. I'm doing these programs. Why aren't they coming? You know, this is what people have said that they wanted. I mean, I, I had somebody tell me, uh, Doug, you should meet on Sundays. And I have a aversion to meeting on Sunday. <laughs> right. I, I just I just don't do the church thing, no matter what it's called. And so I had a program on Sunday and the person that said that to me didn't show up. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for and one time you can kind of forgive them because, you know, if they mm-hmm. have a conflict. Right. But but, yeah, we had um, I mean, we, we had a diverse set of events. And actually what became our least attended events were our big monthly, we have a presenter formal meeting. All of our other ones, our discussion group and our socials, those were fairly well attended. Um, but yeah, the, the big one that took all of the energy of finding the people, well, okay, let me, let me say not all of the energy because the discussion group was exhausting. Um, yeah. And it took a lot out of me. And that was kind of like the biggest thing that told me I have to stop because like I said, I'm, I'm very much um, all about people staying on topic and not doing a back and forth, not controlling the conversation because everybody should have a chance to speak. And that is exhausting when you're the only person in the group who is making sure that those rules are followed. You know, it, should, so, it should be everybody else, but right. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I don't, I don't expect, you know, everybody to speak up about that because I know there are a lot of people who will not speak up at all unless I give them the chance. I mean, that was kind of the whole point of it, but to have to fight the strong voices every time and, uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> well, I love it, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, for a number of years, you put together and hosted a lobby day down in Columbus. Yes. Under the CFI Northeast. It was six yeah. of them. Yeah, okay. six of them. And yeah. um, so is the reason why you're not doing that also now, is that part of that burnout that you were feeling a burnout or you just didn't want, since your CFI doesn't, the local chapter doesn't exist anymore, you don't want to. No. Um I, I think it's it's more of I, I needed a break from it. Mm. I, I'm happy to take it back up again. Um, and when I feel that I can get people motivated, because that was that was another real hard one. Because you're doing it on a day of the week, and because we have to do it in Columbus, it's a really tough one to get people to get involved. And in. I, I know you know because I know how far you had to drive to right. get there which I appreciate that you guys always came. Um, And I needed to be able to just not have to worry about events at all for a while. I need to not have responsibility for a bit. Um, And then I'll jump back in and I'm hoping to restart them because I I really do. I mean, those were the most important events to me, really Um, being able to go down meet with our legislators, you know, seeing people, seeing people come out of the meetings with their representatives and senators and just, you know, being a glow and smiling because they were part of the process and it was amazing. That, yeah. that meant everything. Yeah. Even, even if it was a staff member, you, you yeah. felt, you felt good yeah. about it. Right. You went and you set up for your rights. You said, this is what I believe in and this is what I want you to do. And, you know, before that, they had no idea what you wanted. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. 
And I know a couple of years or three or four years there, they uh, try to get the secular celebrant bill passed. Yes, uh, we could you explain that a little bit what that would have done. Sure, sure. In Ohio, the only people who can solemnize a marriage, and that means actually put the signature on the certificate, which makes it a valid marriage, um, are elected officials, some elected officials, ordained ministers are the big group, some elected officials, and superintendents for schools for the deaf, hmm. which which I actually get. That, that wouldn't makes more sense to me than ordained ministers, you know, but, um, so anyway, and, and the only thing that they do that they have to do legally is sign that paper. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to do anything, you know, no magic words or anything. It's simply signing the paper. So for three sessions, we introduced, um, the secular celebrant bill at first with the help of, uh, representative Mike Foley, who's amazing. Um, and that would basically just let anybody who registers with the Secretary of State solemnize marriages. Because why not? You know, in Florida, I think it is, you can be a notary. You know, every state is different. Um, so we would get it introduced. And actually, our, our first time that it was introduced was uh, before equality hit. Um, we were trying to work on that sort of as well but yeah because yeah. um, <laughs> the Ohio law actually says man and woman in in the marriage but anyway right. um, it would go into committee and it would sit in committee because Ohio is entirely Republican right now and it was really really tough to get any kind of movement um, to, to get people to call to get people to you know get fired up about it um, so yeah like I said three sessions we introduced it Never made it out of committee. Maybe someday we'll pick it back up. Okay. And I wanted to move on. I wanted to talk about the other group that you're part of called Secular Woman. Did I get that? Yeah. It's Secular Woman, right? Correct. Okay. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that group and how you got involved with it? Sure. Um, secular Woman's mission is to amplify the voices of secular women, both inside and outside the movement. Um, basically, it was um, started by four women in November of 2012, or sorry, June, June of 2012. Um, I ended up on the board in, by November, um, mainly because they wanted someone to take over the uh, web hosting and the database stuff, I think. Um, <laughs> but hey, I was happy to do it. And we've had an awful lot of programs that we've done. We've done a lot of um, like Twitter conversations about sexual harassment and um, just um, sex ed and a lot of things uh, where we would bring people in and have big conversations and, you know, get lots of participation. One of our um, more popular, I guess, uh, campaigns is Abort Theocracy, which is exactly what it says right on the tin. (laughs) And under abort theocracy, one of the things we did was called shameless, where we would have women tell their abortion stories. You know, we will not be shamed. Um, And it was just supposed to run for a couple of weeks and it ended up running for months. Um, But also under that, we've raised money for um, Women Have Options Ohio, a local uh, because we we just moved headquarters from Georgia to Ohio headquarters being, you know, my computer is headquarters. But um, 
we did a fundraiser for them and they help with um, people who are pregnant who need abortions get access, be it money or other resources that they may need. So yeah, we've run two conferences along with uh, Minnesota Atheist Cash and this last time Black Nonbelievers, um, Secular Women Work. And those conferences are all female or non-binary presenters and it focuses on activism. A lot of times in activism, people find themselves in a position where they see something that needs to be done and so and nobody doing it, so they move to do it and they have no skills, they have no direction and it's kind of a learn as you go kind of thing. Um, so we bring the people with those skills who are doing that work together with a lot of the people who are involved to give them those skills, therefore, you know, lifting the whole movement up, you know, rising tide, blah, blah, blah. Right. right. So, yeah. <laughs> and um, are you, you still having conferences with them, right? Um, we we've done one like every other year. We also do year. uh every three years actually. We've done two. Um, it's it's a big thing. So and it's all volunteer mm-hmm. and it's like right. four of us. So yeah. Um, but we also do the workshops for Skepticon. Um, in the past, we've just done our own track. And then this last year, we helped schedule all of their tracks. So we reached out to other organizations, American Humanist Association, American Atheist. Um, I believe we had uh, St. Louis Ethical Society as well last year and set up their own tracks as well as our own secular woman track. So um, that's another thing that we are very, very happy to help people do. If they are having a conference and they want some workshops, we are happy to hook them up with people or even help them do the scheduling um, in, in vetting speakers. We're also very happy to let you know which ones, you know, maybe people have complained about in the past or which ones open you up to some liability issues and yeah, which ones sued people for speaking up, you know, that kind of thing. Right. No, I, you know, I attended the last Skepticon and I was very, very happy. It came to the point where they were having uh, conflicting programs. I wanted to be at both and I could only be <laughs> at one. And, and yeah. I think they did take, they did record some of them. So I was probably. All, all they, of the main stage talks were recorded. The workshops right. we usually don't record right. um, for various reasons, but yeah, yeah. All of the main stage ones and I'm, um, you know, they're working on the videos and they will be released here soon. We hope. <laughs> and um, I'm looking forward to next year. Um, so you yeah, know. we're going to try. Sean and I will try to be there the, this this next yeah. come, next one because yeah, we like it because it's got a good price point. Yeah, free. Yeah, <laughs> that's <great>. the best. <laughs> and and I really really love that they work so hard um, to make, to keep this event free for people. It takes a lot of fundraising, especially considering the fact that um, Skepticon. And Lauren and Lane were um, being sued by Richard Carrier for three years and incurred a ton of legal debt. Um, So the fact that they are still making this conference go and they're still making it free is kind of huge. One of the pillars and one one of the emphasis, uh, at least in our group, too, in humanism in general, is social justice. And I know that social justice is important to you. why is it important to you and how can your experiences help others wanting to become an, a secular activist? 
Because making the world a better place is kind of what humanism is all about. And, and, you know, in my opinion, um, and if we are not working to make the, you know, the least of us or whatever, the, the people who face more challenges, um, if we are not working to make their lives any easier, what's the point? Um, you know, it's, you can only do so many meetings where you're talking about, you know, yeah, my parents made me go to church when I was little. And I don't mean to diminish anybody's stories or demeans anybody's, uh, you know, stories of coming out of religion. And and those are important. But if that's all you're doing, you know, we, we need to, to reevaluate. Um, and I've been to your group meeting and I, I did speak with them and um, I really enjoyed um, that group and they seemed very empowered to go do things. So, so yeah, I, I just kind of talked in a big circle there, but you know, <laughs> because, you know, because we do things to make people happy and, and you know, to make lives better. And Well, if so, if somebody wanted to become a secular activist, what, what would be one of the first things or first few things that they would need to do that you well, would recommend? Okay, and it does depend on their particular interests, but find a local group. Um, hope your local group is not, you know, toxic. Um, I know some of them can be. Um, and if it is, reach out to people of, you know, either in the next group or nationally to find out what you can do about it. Um, ask them what they're doing. Find out. Um, do they already have programs in place? Because that's that's another big thing that happens is people just like, I'm going to do this without doing any research to see if there's anybody already doing that. Right. So find out if there's a group in your area that is working on something that you uh, want to do. And if they're not, see if you can work with them to help them do that and, you know, get them connected to other organizations who have the same focus. Um, you know, if, if you want to do uh, pro-choice stuff and, and work towards uh, abortion for people, you can get your chapter to work with NARAL, you know, their local chapter or whatever you have your, you know. Um, so yeah. Local first. If you can find the local that works for you, that's great. That's awesome. If you don't, there are other options. There are national groups. And of course, you can always reach out to Secular Woman and we'll try to hook you up with anybody in your area that we know does that work. So secularwoman.org. It's really tough. (laughs) You know, you've been involved with secular organizations for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Um, You've seen the the conflicts and the turmoil do you see a light at the end of the tunnel anytime soon or is it going to get worse I, I don't think it's going to get worse it's just <laughs> you know I had lots of ideas of how politics and organizations worked and then 2016 happened mm-hmm. um, so I can no longer depend on what I thought I used to know. Um, And when we constantly see things like David Silverman, who was fired for numerous reasons from American atheists, but also had complaints against him from multiple women get rehired as an executive director at another organization in the secular movement. When, when we see those things still happening, you know, Richard Carrier still gets speaking engagements, even though he sued a whole bunch of people because they spoke up about his admitted actions. Um, 
Richard Dawkins still does things with Lawrence Krauss. He's on his mm -hmm. origins board. He's got right. this tour, you know, when we see those, it gets like, a, like I've used the word exhausting a lot and I will continue to use that because it's a constant telling people, but you need to be aware of this history and you need to look at this. Um, so, and I don't mean to just be focusing on the negative. Yes, I think things will get better. Can I give you a timeline? I have no idea. It will not get better if we just let this behavior continue. It will not get better if we keep shouting down the people who are trying to make change and, and accusing them of being uncivil and telling them they're being divisive. Then it, it's definitely not going to change. Um, it's going to take all of us. You know, what, what I tell people when they come to the secular woman table and they're like, ha, 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 we're the group for secular men. You know, and I'm like, no, you should be. You should be supporting secular women because it's going to take all of us. You should be supporting black non uh, non-believers because it's going to take all of us to make a difference. You should be supporting ex-Muslims. You know, all of the minority groups need everybody behind them, so we can, you know, make the world a better place. Okay. Well, that's yeah. Good. yeah. There's a light. It may be pretty dim and it may be really far <laughs> off. I don't know. You know, I'm not Stephen Pinker going to sit here and say, oh, but things are better than they ever were before. So we shouldn't complain, you know, uh, but I know, I know. That, you know, that you, <laughs> you brought that up. That sounded to me like the conservative argument when they talk about poor people having refrigerators and microwaves. Exactly. And cell phones. And they're oh, not goodness, poor. They have, if they have right. cell phones, they're not poor. Right, uh, even though you need one to have a job, you know, right, whatever. Right. And yes, okay, so I, I mean, it's always like the argument too of, well, you know, women in this country can't even vote. Or, you know, people, even in the secular movement, atheists try to use the argument against secular women that, um, you know, the whole, well, Muslims do this to their women. We don't do that. And yet they're telling us to be quiet because, well, they have it worse, you know, so. Was there anything that you wanted to plug or promote while I have you um, on the line? Well, like I said, Skepticon will uh, be working on the workshops for that. We do have some programs in the works that, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to talk about more as we go. Um, some things that we've been planning on for a while. I, you know, we, as I said, I stepped down as president. Stephanie Zvan is now our president and I'm vice president and I'm really excited about that. We are looking for board members. So if you are interested in helping Secular Woman, um, we have a blog post about it somewhere that I will have to find. <laughs> it's on our Facebook page. It's on the Facebook page. Yeah, uh, I, saw, yeah. I did read it. Yeah, so, you know, reach out to us. But um, we've got some things coming. I, I'm excited about them. I don't have details to give right now because they're still in the works, but, you know, some training programs and stuff like that. So, and we're about to get attacked by a cat. So, uh, all right. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you very much, Monette, for joining me today. And uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Well, like I said, thank you very much for having me on. I'm always happy to talk about things that I actually know about and, you know, <laughs> groups or something I actually know about. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent to listener comments 
at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistswle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. Thank you and see you next time.